Matthew 2, 1 through 12. If you're using one of our Bibles, that's page 471. All right, I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna pray, and then we're just gonna see what's available to us, all right? All right, Matthew 2, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, this is uh, the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's go ahead and pray. Um, Lord, thank you so much for this moment in time where we get to gather in a space and intentionally look at a part of your story. Thank you, God, for the protection of your scriptures that we get to read thousands of years later. Um, Thank you, God, for the kids that get to worship with us today and play with Play-Doh and just learn more about Jesus. Then we get to do that with them. Um, Thank you, God, for this space, a safe spot to just reflect and worship and pursue you. Um, Holy Spirit, um, I just pray, would you give us just, um, just an ability to to see our own hearts today. And Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us and show us what you might be inviting us into? God, I pray that you would just use my mouth as your vessel, speak through me. Whatever is of you and super helpful, help it to stick. And whatever is just not helpful at all, help us just to forget it immediately. Um, Lord, I just thank you for, yeah, this time in Jesus' name, amen. So I was reading this story and uh, it got me thinking as I was talking with the guys that were studying with me and teaching at our other campuses. And, um, you know, I, was, I started thinking about my time in high school. And I don't know if you were like this, but in high school for me, my eyes were always on the future, right? So when I was a freshman and I was like five foot nothing and really short, I thought, I can't wait to be like a junior and senior because at that point, even though my, my height might be lacking, my, my title will be better, so I'll get more respect. I remember just feeling like always like the short, cute little kid, you know, that all the girls were like, aw, but they meant it more like in a you're seven instead of a you're actually cute, you know? Like the condescending cute versus the complimentary cute, you know? You guys know what I'm talking about. It stinks when you get the aw. Anyway, and so I, I remember thinking as a freshman, I can't wait to get into like junior and senior years. And I remember as a senior going, I can't wait to like graduate because then I get to go off into the real world. Does anyone identify with that in high school? Even though you're in high school and you're having fun, your eyes are kind of on like the, the next step. And I started thinking about college too. And 
man, I loved college. College was so much fun, but you go to college, right, to prepare for the real world. You, you go hoping that like that job will work out. You'll find your vocation. Maybe you'll find the one you're gonna marry. And you're constantly like thinking about the future, like what's to come. And it's interesting though, because when I reflect back on my high school years and my college years, I never really re- think about graduation day. Even though for a lot of my time in high school and college, graduation day was the day I was looking forward to, right? That was the destination. But oftentimes what I remember is like freshman year in my high school, wearing a flat bill and a tall tee and dancing in front of my whole school and I won a dance competition. That's a true story. I didn't make that up just now. That's a re- I was really wearing that. I had a chain and everything. Don't ask, we can talk later. Um, I'll be vague and not tell you specifics. And, um, and then I remember like, you know, getting in trouble with my friends. I was a terrible student. I was a nuisance, but I loved it. And I'm, I'm not proud of that now, but I, like, those are the moments I remember those friendships that I had. I remember some of the major mistakes I made that like literally changed who I am today. I remember the relationship I was in that was like psychotic and like broke my heart. And, and but I'm like, man, that really affected me. So the point is like high school graduation, although that was kind of where my eyes were on, there were all these things that I experienced that really formed me as a man. And then I think about college, Man, some of the best friends that I had to this day, I experienced, I met in college. Some of the stories that shaped who I am as a man, the reason I teach the way I teach, the reason I view the world the way I view the world is because some of the friendships and experiences I've had in college. And I say all that to say, we get caught in these moments where we're looking forward to the future, but in reality, God is using the journey itself to form us. And although the destination is worth noting and it's exciting, Really, it's the journey along the way that really forms the deepest parts of, of who we are. Does that make sense? And so oftentimes when I talk to like couples that are engaged or married, they'll, they'll often give words of advice like this. Hey, if you ever get engaged, make sure to just soak it in. It's so easy to get focused on getting to the wedding day for a lot of reasons, but make sure you just soak in this moment. And I'm like, huh, that's really interesting. Cause you would think like, you're just eager to get to the wedding day. What's the richness in this? And I think the truth of this story in Matthew two and so often that we find is it's so easy to get our eyes set on the future, but oftentimes there's this richness in the journey. And the story of the wise men is going, they understood that in order to get to a deeper sense of joy of what God had prepared for them, they had to go on this journey. And we're gonna see in verse 10 that even uh, in verse 10 that, that the wise men discover some of the deepest joy before they even get to Jesus. It says they rejoice and feel great joy because they'd seen a sign from God. And so that's kind of what I wanna talk about today is, is falling back in love with the journey of pursuing the Lord. And the reason I think this can be hard for us is we live in a culture that everything is immediately available. Isn't that true? Like thank the Lord for Amazon Prime, anything. Literally anything. Um, my neck's kind of hurt, so I ordered a heating pad. I got it in 48 hours. <laughs> I haven't opened it yet. I didn't even need it yet. My neck hasn't hurt since, so praise the Lord. But heating pad, two days, max, right? Like anything you want. In fact, if you get Amazon Prime now, has, does anyone ever use that to go grocery shopping? No kidding. I've once ordered groceries, ice cream, and boxer briefs on Amazon Prime now, and it got there within six hours. You don't even have to leave a tip to the driver, but you should obviously, but it's really, really easy, right? It's like, that's the kind of world we live in. I'm, I'm involved with a, a couple's wedding and they literally met on a dating app a year ago and they're now getting married. It's like, if you need a soulmate, you can literally swipe right and you probably will find one. Like, it's just out there and that's not condescending. That's, a, that's an amazing gift. Like, it, it really makes it easy in, in some ways. So, but you know, in a culture like that, 
where things that are so easy to get to, I think we can accidentally blur lines. So when we talk about things like peace and love and hope and joy, we kind of underestimate the beauty of the journey that God is inviting us in on. And the minute we hit the rocks, the minute we hit something that feels disruptive or unsure, our doubt comes in, our faith leaves, and we're just like unsure of everything, at least if you're like me. And I think there's some ways that our culture has trained us to expect things immediately, to fulfill us quickly, that we underestimate that maybe some of the pain and the inconvenience and the uncomfortable seasons that we find ourselves in is God preparing our hearts for the deeper sense of joy, a deeper sense of life that God has waiting for us. But sometimes it takes a journey. And so today is about falling in love with the journey that potentially God is inviting us in on. And again, I said this was gonna be a shorter teaching. So there is some serious beauty in this that we could really chase, but I'm gonna hit us with a couple of quick points and then we're gonna spend the, the most of our time reflecting and praying and thinking about our own lives, okay? Does that make sense? Cool, all right. So Matthew 2, a couple of things I wanna notice. We've already read it, but the wise men, they see a star and they're aware of the prophecies and they head to Jerusalem, right? They head to Bethlehem where Jesus is. Now, how do they see, supposed to, they were open to seeing in the first place, correct? Like they were open. Now, it doesn't say that this light or this star was only available to a select few people. But for some reason, I guess because of the wise men and maybe their studies of the sky, they were the only ones aware of the significance of this light that shows up because they were open to seeing. Now, we hear that and we go, well, no kidding. Like, that's pretty obvious. They studied the stars, they saw the light. But when you actually move it to to our time and place, this is actually pretty hard to be, right? I, I find myself so often being like, God, where are you? I don't hear you. I don't sense you. And then someone will say, when's the last time you listened for God? And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how to do that. And you know, there's something to be said about the wise men being open to seeing in the first place that I'm like, that's actually sort of a challenge for us, isn't it? Especially in the holiday season, the irony of having a Christmas season that we've made about Jesus and how easy is it to go through the whole holiday without actually worshiping God and thinking about the goodness of Jesus. Even during this gathering, as I talk about it, you're struggling, some of you, to engage with what I'm even saying right now, right? It's like, it's hard to do, to posture ourselves in a place that's open to seeing God move. So step one for the wise men, the reason this whole story happens is that they were looking in the first place. The wise men never see the light in the sky if they're looking down, right? It's so easy to be the people looking down at the things of life, at taking care of family, at vocation, at making sure we have the income, the shelter, the food, the water, all those things that take our eyes off. But the wise men were first and foremost, they were open to seeing it. And then secondly, they were willing to move. They were willing to actually move. So they didn't just stop at hearing God and seeing God. They were willing to actually physically inconvenience themselves to chase the deeper things that they believed God was calling them into. It's like, I, you know, when I read the story, it seems obvious. Oh, wise men from the East, they were born to travel to Bethlehem. That makes so much, like, what else are they gonna do? Just like, stay there. Like, they're wise men, that's what they do, right? It's like, no, 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 These are real humans. This is difficult. Now, there's a lot of theories about where they came from, but after talking with some teachers, doing some study, and I think it's safe to say this was at least a three-month journey round trip, at least a three-month journey. And that's if they had like, track and field, fast camels, like serious, like in the gym at 7 a.m. every day camels, like good camels, okay? So no matter what, they're giving up at like two to three months minimum 
to travel to this place. Hey, this is serious. This is a pretty serious quest. Like it's one thing to see a light in the sky and go, oh yeah, that's that thing we've been waiting for. The son of God has been born in Bethlehem. It's another thing to say, I've got family. I've got shelter. I've got specific places where I know my food and water and income come from. And I'm going to leave that behind for a two or three month journey minimum to chase after what I believe God is doing. That's hard to do, right? So it's one thing to go, oh, I see God moving. It's another thing to go, I'm going to leave that which is inconvenient or that, that which is convenient, that which is easy, that which is comfortable. I'm gonna set those things aside, trusting that the thing that God has invited me in on is going to bring me to a deeper sense of joy and peace and hope in life. Right, it's totally different. And so there were things that they had to let go of in order to grab onto something that God had for them. I think for us, it's so easy to get caught up in the things that we are holding onto that keep us from the deeper things of God. So first, they were open to seeing. Second, they were willing to move. And then thirdly, they come with a posture of worship and generosity. They come with a posture of worship and generosity. Again, if we've heard this story so much, it just makes sense that the wise men would come from the East, would find toddler Jesus around two years old, and they would just bow down and worship. But picture this for a second. Really think about this story as if it's real, because it is true. Picture these wise men. Now, they're called wise men. I don't know how they got that name, but like if I was being recorded in scripture, it would not be the wise man, right? Like, I don't know what you have to do to gain that type of status in scripture. They're like, what were their names? Oh, man. I don't know. They were super wise, though. Wise men. That's how, that's how. And they show up with these gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, and their first response is to bow down. Now picture this. You think this makes sense because you've seen the nativity scenes. They are wise men with these elaborate gifts. And the first thing they do is get on the ground and bow down to a two-year-old. Think about the posture of the heart that that takes, the faith that that takes. Right now, picture yourself bowing down to a two-year-old and meaning it, not being funny, right? That's odd. That's a weird thought. But I love this because their posture was that of worship and humility. And even if God didn't look like maybe what they had pictured in their mind, I mean, I know they know the scriptures, but I can't imagine them going, oh, when I think of God, I think of a two-year-old. Like, but they trusted that even when God didn't maybe look like the picture we all have of God, that if God had said it was so, that this was God. And so they came in humility. The wisest of men trusted God enough, was, were faithful enough to God that they would bow down to this little toddler that couldn't even speak yet, potentially. So I love this. And then they also come with open hands and they come bearing gifts. I love the picture you get of their relationship with God. They, they really, to me, it seems, and I don't wanna to put too much into this. I don't wanna to add to scripture, but I think this is fair. They understood their relationship with God and what, that God had come and that God was God and that they were man. And so they came bearing gifts saying, God, whatever it takes for my heart to show like that this is all yours. This all belongs to you anyway. And I think this is incredible because it's so easy, at least for me, to be a little entitled with God and to think that it should be a mutual giving, like, hey, you give, I give, I give, you give back and whatever. But the truth is when we come into the presence of God, like he's our creator, he's pursued us in Jesus, but he's holy, like he's perfect. Like he's kind of the end all be all of the situation. And we come offering uh, gifts and, and, and so on and so forth. So as we go into communion, as we go into this time of reflection, what I wanted to do was really simple, give you three questions that I, I wanted you to take time to reflect on, okay? And here's why I wanna do this. Here's why I was like, I wanna do the hard work, honestly, of 
only talking for like 12 minutes, leaving out a ton of details and fun stories because I want church, this place, to be a place where you understand you're being invited to participate. Like you are being invited to examine your heart, to invite God deeper into your life. And that is a beautiful thing. And so I wanna actually say, I don't just wanna say, hey, you're a participant in the kingdom of God and you are invited to pursue God deeply. I wanna give a space that allows you to start on that journey, okay? Or to continue on that journey. So there's three questions. If you have a pen and paper or a phone, you wanna write these down, that might be helpful. I think they'll be relative, relatively easy to remember. But the first question, we've got 20 days or 21 days before we're back here again. You're gonna have some days off because of the holiday. You're gonna be with family. You're gonna be around a tree. Some of you guys are gonna be with a lot of family. Some of you guys are gonna be with just some friends. Whatever your situation, there's gonna be some moments where rest is readily available to you. And I just wanna ask this. Are you open to seeing God? Are you open to seeing God? I think all of us would say, I'd love to see God. I'd love to hear from him. If he's real, if he's out there, I'd love to hear it. But a lot of us, if you're like me, can struggle to actually posture ourselves in a way where we're looking for God, where we're listening for God. So what can this look like? Are you open to seeing God? Does this mean, are you open to sitting down and reading scripture and listening for what God might be saying? Are you open to prayer and journaling? Or as you go through your day, are you asking God, God, would you help me to see you in the most normal of moments? If you're speaking through someone, if you want me to stop and care for someone, if you're telling me to say something or listen, but first question is, are you open at all to actually hearing and seeing God? And then secondly, are you willing to move? Like legitimately, if you're trying out this faith thing and following Jesus, when you sense God speaking to you, are you willing to actually move in obedience? This is harder than it sounds. In fact, as the older I get, I thought it would get easier. It actually gets more difficult. We get more ingrained in the ways that we, we just like doing life. There's just things that we're just set in our ways on. And I didn't realize how real that was until I think this year, I really got to see some of my own stubbornness. So I think mentally preparing and praying and getting a heart that is ready to move when you sense God is so important. So first, are you open? And then second, go ahead and be praying and getting ready, posturing yourself. God, if I hear you speak, if I sense you calling me to something, if I see something in your word, I will move. I will obey. Like that's the kind of the next step. And then thirdly, are you coming with a posture of worship and open hands? Are you understanding the dynamic of this relationship? Like that almighty God who is perfect, that first pursued us, that first went on a journey to save his people is worthy of worship. I don't know about you, but sometimes worship is the first thing out the door when I'm praying. I'm really concerned about my request and I wanna be humble, but I forget to worship. And I've just found that worship unlocks something in the heart. I don't know why. I don't know why it works that way. But declaring praise for the Lord, reading a Psalm, singing songs, just telling God, you are holy and much bigger than myself and you're beautiful and you're good. Like, and I love you. And I don't love you, but I'm trying to love you and you're great, you know? But posturing yourself in a place of worship is so important. And also having open hands, understanding that if, if God, if you're real and you've created all this thing, these are all your resources. And it's only an illusion to, to assume that any of this belongs to me, right? So come with open hands. God, I, I come holding on to nothing. That's hard work right there. But come with the heart that goes, my hands are open. Whatever you ask of me, I'm willing because you are worthy of praise and you're worthy of worship. So are you open? Are you willing? And are you coming with a posture of worship? So we're gonna put on some like chill music that hopefully invites you to think and search. And I want you to know, this is simply an invitation 
for you to really have 10 minutes. I mean, when else do you have a dedicated 10 minutes that just goes, hey, right now, your only thing to do is to pray and ask God to search your heart and to see maybe what he has at the table for you. So that's what we're gonna have right now. If you were looking for a moment to take advantage and to dig in with the Lord, it's happening right now. Here's the knock, it's right here, okay? So we're gonna play some music for about 10 minutes. Those are the questions. I'll be in the back if you wanna talk to me or pray or anything, but otherwise, if you wanna talk to the people around you, you can do that. If you wanna go outside, do whatever you want. Take advantage of this next 10 minutes, reflect on these questions. And then at any point, if you wanna come up and take communion, you can get up and do that. We've got bread and juice at the table. That's where we remember that Jesus has come, that he's given of his body and his blood to save us. That's why we get to celebrate his coming because he died and he resurrected and he's coming back. So communion's available whenever you want it. So let's do this, let's reflect for 10 minutes and then uh, Jared will lead us in worship. Does that sound good? Okay.